today we are talking about the female menstrual cycle. Okay. My husband always makes fun of me. He always teases me because I I guess I can be very sing-songy in like the most boring way ever. Like I can just sing to my dog all day long. I don't know why I do it honestly, but um yeah. So I guess you're probably going to get a lot of that in the podcast. Um he jokes and says that I could make a musical out of my dog's life because I just, I sing to my dog all the time, all day long. Anyways, so now that you know that little tidbit about Tori, um, like I said, we're talking about cycle syncing today. Um, I have been working on this for quite a while. I've been gathering information, trying to decide how I feel about it. Um, And to be honest, like I genuinely liked the idea, like right off the bat. And it is the implementation that has me stuck in the mud. <laughs> it's kind of hard. I don't know. Like it's it's been difficult for me. So I'm I'm trying to figure out how to implement it. I will keep you guys updated on you know where I go with that. But at least I just kind of wanted to get my my initial thoughts out about cycle syncing and like where it comes from the kind of cycles that women have, just a little bit of like background information on why I am using so much of my time to learn about this. Okay, so um, I basically started learning about cycle syncing because I was diagnosed with extreme hormonal imbalance and I was looking for a way to, you know, help myself. I have supplements that I'm working on with my doctor, uh, but it takes time, it takes a lot of patience, and there's always something that we can do to help ourselves in the more present, current moment. So I personally was um, experiencing extremely difficult periods. Like from the time I got my period as a young girl, all the way through my womanhood thus far, um, I would have... And I, I want to explain this because I think a lot of women out there may be experiencing similar menstrual cycle issues or hormonal issues and just being told that they're normal or part of womanhood. And I want to erase that stigma <laughs> because that's what I thought for a very long time. Doctors after like doctor after doctor had told me that this was just normal. This was a part of being a woman it was becoming increasingly normal for like my generation. And I wanna talk about why that's happening. So um, I was placed on the NuvaRing, um, it was like 10 years ago maybe, I, I was on it for almost a decade. And before that I was on you know different hormonal birth controls as well. So um, I had mentioned previously in my skincare podcast that I had to go through Accutane twice in my life, which is very uncommon. Most people only have to do Accutane like once. And I, I both times that I was on Accutane, I was on, on it for a very extended amount of time. So usually it's, it's not very long that you have to be on it because it is such a like extremely powerful medication. Um, and I was on it for several years at a time. And this just all, you know, added up in my brain to like be able to recognize that 
okay, something was going on. Um, and no matter how I reached out to doctors, they didn't really know how to help me. It was just very symptomatic treatment. And um, I, I was having extreme period issues, um, more, than, more than just like one. It, it was like I had extreme, extremely heavy bleeding um, and I would bleed for a long period of time. So I was sometimes bleeding for 13 or 14 days straight. And like I said, it's a heavy flow. It wasn't just like spotting. It was like I would go through a super plus tampon in an hour. And I would do that for almost two weeks straight. Um, on top of that, I just had extreme pain. You know, like I definitely missed school as a kid uh, for period pain. And then it got worse as I got into my adulthood. Um you know, there were times that I had puked because of period pain. I passed out because of period pain once. It was, it was quite something. <laughs> um, so I was self-medicating. I was using a shit ton of ibuprofen, way too much ibuprofen. Shouldn't have been doing that to my body. I just, I really didn't know what else to do. So like I said, they prescribed me to the NuvaRing, which was a hormonal um, birth control uh, mostly because they didn't know what else to do for me. So it's this idea that like westernized medicine definitely is very symptomatic, like treats the symptoms. Um, and I think that there is a stigma around women's health in general that um, like the menstrual cycle just gets in the way. It's something that we just kind of like have to deal with as women. And that didn't sit right with me. I learned more about the holistic wellness path. And I was like, okay, this can definitely apply here too. You know, um, I, I chose to see the period or the menstrual cycle, the, the hormonal cycle of women. I, I was like, this is a special experience that we get to have as women. Um, so while I'm, I'm living this life as a woman... I, I want to I want to figure it out. <laughs> I want to experience it. I, I want to see the benefits that come from this kind of thing. So I wanted to connect more to the nature, higher power side of being female. Um, obviously, when you are a female having this sort of hormonal cycle, it, it, you are closer to a creative energy, a manifesting energy, because you're, you're creating life, you're able to manifest life, and you're manifesting a feminine output, a feminine energy. So um, this isn't like new age thought either. This is something that is very common in ancient civilizations. Um, Generally speaking, the moon was seen as the feminine and the sun was seen as the masculine. So the way, the way this really is represented in today's world, um, men work off of a 24-hour hormonal cycle. So, you know, thus the 9 to 5 work day. Um, it really benefits men. And the female cycle is a 28-day, generally, cycle. So um, if you 
are familiar with, you know, the moon and lunar energy, that's how it works. The moon is based off of an averaged 28-day cy- cycle as well. And the sun is like men, where it is um, based off of a 24-hour cycle, right? So it's this idea of like masculine, feminine, moon, and sun. And together, those two things, they they work off of each other to create a balance and to create a harmony, right? The very um, yin-yang energy. So the term um, menstruation actually comes from Latin roots, as most terms do. Um, So it comes from the word menses. um, That is, in Latin, it means month. Um, so you see even the lunar connection, the month, the lunar calendar connection there, um, which in turn relates to the Greek word mene, which literally means moon. So you can see that menstruation literally was formed from the word moon. And the moon is absolutely, um, it's, it's definitely this encompassing divine feminine power. So we're able to recognize the different phases of the menstrual cycle and how they are connected to the moon phases. So your bleeding, your menstrual would be like the new moon. Um, your pre-ovulation is your follicular phase. That's like the waxing moon. Um, the ovulation is like full moon and your premenstrual phase is your waning moon. So I just want to give you a few more examples of these ancient practices around the female cycle. I think it's super interesting. So Um, I think all of us have kind of known that there's throughout time been this idea of like a menstruation hut or a menstruation tent, this idea that women would be set aside or put apart. So in particular, um, these menstruation huts, um, were not always seen as like taboo or, you know, bad. They were actually in ancient civilizations, um, a positive thing. They weren't made taboo until the religious patriarchy came into view. So, you know, Judeo-Christian influences came in. Um, But before those taboos kind of were created around the woman's cycle and the female body in general, um, these menstruation huts were actually places of retreat for women to basically like gather in like sisterhood. So when you were going through your menstrual phase, um, your menstrual cycle, you got to retreat to this space away from like domestic demands and rest. Um, These people saw it important uh, for these women to take this time to rest. Um, And it really was a place that was set apart from like the male gaze, from chores and regular duties. And it wasn't seen as like... um, an isolation or seclusion like these women weren't seen as unclean or impure at this time it it was a protective and empowering place so like i said um the religious patriarchy came into view and they manipulated these things to change the narrative um this is how they basically intensified the female oppression right um and that's where we see those things like impure and unclean come into um play so in particular we have a couple examples of these ancient ancient cultures and how this was used so 
Um, one that I love to learn about is the Norse culture. Um, so like Vikings. <laughs> and this is Viking culture prior to these Christian influences. So um, women were actually seen as like a super vital role to the villages. Um, it was, you know, like the, basically they, they say that it comes down to this attitude of just like it was kind of stupid to be thinking you could kick women out every month because women were so vital in taking part in the community and the society. They didn't kick them out. Um, so, you know, like even in Norse literature, um, they just show that this really wasn't an issue at all, that the Norse culture had a lot of um, positive aspects in relation to how they spoke about sexuality in general that they were most likely a very open people um, and that they weren't really like demonizing the women's menstrual cycle in any way. It, it was just something that happened. Um, and even so much so that they go so far as to say that um, they did see women as more in touch with nature and maybe having like a more mystic side. Um, and so because of that, women were more likely in Norse culture to be um, the, the magic keepers. So their magic or their mystic practices, their rituals were seen as women's art. So much so that it is explicitly stated in several places that men who were interested on taking on this kind of um, artistic endeavor, magic or... Um, the mystics, um, they were endangered, like they endangered their own reputation and manhood by doing so because it was such, it was seen as such a female specific era that like females were so naturally inclined to be in touch with this mystic side through nature. Um, some other examples we have as well, ancient Greece, uh, they would have spring festivals here they would spread like corn on the earth and they would mix it specifically with menstrual blood um, in a hope to increase fertility for their people. Ancient Egypt, they would ingest menstrual blood with red wine. Mm, yummy, right? <laughs> to uh, increase their own spiritual power and psychic abilities. Um, Aboriginal Australia, there was a higher power called the Rainbow Snake. And this higher power was believed to confer spiritual power through fertility in synchronization with lunar tides. And then specifically for Cherokee people, in certain tribes, menstrual blood was seen as a source of feminine strength. And they believed that it may have the power to even like destroy their enemies. Um, ancient Rome, a menstruating woman's body was believed to scare away storms and lightning. So much so that if she walked naked through a field, she would uh, save the crops from insects, which who knows, maybe that still works. Um, and then some African tribes as well, they would use menstrual blood for magic charms um, that would both purify disease and destroy enemies as well. So I mean, really, if you see it, like throughout this, there are some pretty obvious like cultural perspectives that women were damn powerful um quite often they said i think it was like two or three times they said that like women could on their menstrual cycle destroy their enemies and you know it has a lot to do with fertility saving crops um 
purification, all this kind of stuff. So we see that it really is a Western society thing to um, get rid of our womanhood or our natural womanly cycles in order to, you know, keep up with the men's 24-hour cycle. But in reality, these ancient civilizations saw it as a power or even a magic. And, you know, it kind of helps you relate back to this very modern westernized Christian view that like man was made by God and then woman was taken from man's rib. So the idea is like man was the closest thing to God, right? But many of these ancient peoples for many centuries believed that it was actually woman who was more in touch with nature, more mystic, and, you know, basically this woman is the closest thing to God. So, you know, that just kind of helps you to like reframe how you see your own female body, your own female menstruation, your your hormone cycle. All of a sudden when I, I started learning about this stuff, it just, it put it into a whole new perspective for me. I no longer wanted to just like, you know, get rid of my menstrual cycle or, um, push it off or ignore it as if it wasn't happening. I, I felt this newfound desire to like embrace it and to really get in touch with a part of myself I had always pushed aside. Um, so I learned about the different kinds of cycles that a woman can have. There are two main ones. Um, the first one is going to be the white moon cycle. So this is the most common cycle because it is in alignment with the natural moon phases and the energy of the moon. So the idea is that if you're on a white moon cycle, you're going to bleed with the new moon and then you're going to ovulate with the full moon. So that's the natural occurring cycle of the lunar energy. Um, a woman on the white moon cycle is said to be in her mother era. So it's not necessarily that she is a mother. It's just that she's focused um, more on, on, like she has a more outward focus on nurturing. Um, this is her outward energy and she's most often taking care of those around her. So, you know, there is a little bit more preference for these women in a patriarchal society where if you're in this mother era, this outward energy, you're probably taking care of like the men and the children around you. Nothing wrong with this. It's just obviously more common. And then in um, direct parallel to this, we have the red moon cycle. So this is going to be the opposite. This is going to be a woman who bleeds with the full moon and she ovulates with the new moon. So these women are seen specifically anciently. They were seen as the priestesses, the healers, the witches, and the medicine women. So these women channel, like I said, the opposite. It's more of an inward energy. Um, they have much more of like a creator passion and they have a deep desire for self-actualization. So a woman in this phase um, has a deep connection also to like her sexual energy, that creative power. There is another cycle called the wise woman cycle. And this is a woman who will be switching consistently between red and white moon cycles. So she, um, it, it can be frustrating to have this kind of cycle because you may not be able to like, it, it may be more difficult to keep up with it and keep track of it. But 
it is said that women who have this wise woman cycle, you should really try to immerse yourself in the gift of accessing both of the powers of the red moon and the white moon. So yes, it it may feel a little bit more draining to like be able to keep up with um, your cycle and, and what part of the energy you are on um but you really do have a great opportunity to access both powers which is pretty cool there is also a pink and a purple moon cycle um these are much less common and um they're more typically for women who are going through a transition phase so if you're in a pink or a purple moon cycle you're most likely not going to stay there for very long But basically, it's the idea that you are either bleeding with the waxing or the waning moon. Um, So yeah, there's there's several different cycles. Um, You can figure out which cycle you're on based on like tracking your menstrual cycle. Um, Day one, the very first day of your tracking should be on the first day that you bleed. Um, So the way you're going to do this, there, there are lots of apps for this. Um, A really popular one is called Natural Cycle. There's another one called 28. Um, They do cost something. So, you know, not everybody wants to pay for an app to track their cycle. And and even if it does, it's not an exact predictor. Um, There is a way to do this at home on your own though. So um, on day one, when you have your first bleed, not a spotting, an actual bleed, Um, you're going to record your basal body temperature and you're going to chart this on every day um, following. So the way you get your basal body temperature, um, you you can get a thermometer specific for that or you can just use a regular thermometer. And the way you're going to do it is you're going to take your temperature right as you wake up before you get out of bed because the basal body temperature is the lowest temperature that your body attains during rest. Okay, so you're going to track that Um, basically just like on a little, you know, chart, you're going to see every day of your cycle where your temperature is at. Um, So over the course of like a 28 day typical cycle, a normal body temperature is going to be around 36.5 degrees Celsius. So just before you ovulate, your temperature is likely to drop to 36.2 degrees Celsius. I know that's not like a huge number change. And like I said, it's not a precise science, um, but it gives you a little idea of where to go off of. So it is normal that um, this is going to happen around like day 13 to 14 of your cycle. And then just as you ovulate, your temperature is going to increase and climb until it measures around 37 degrees Celsius, where it's going to stay until just before you have your period. So um, that is one way to kind of figure out when you're ovulating, when you're going to be bleeding. Um, Generally, I think most women probably know that they can track their bleeding to be about every four weeks or so. And like I said, if you have trouble or if you need a a little extra help doing this, you can use the apps. Um, So the idea though is that no matter which phase you are in, embrace your cycle and embrace the phase that you are in because there is a power that comes with that. Um, there is a power that comes with, you know, the womanhood of, of being able to know where your 
levels of energy are, to know where your creativity is, to know how your intuition will be coming through. And with each of those different phases, um, you are going to see drops and, you know, it's going to go higher or lower in any of those areas. Um, so I do have a whole page on my website about cycle syncing. Um, you can get ideas on how to use this information to, you know, make it applicable for your everyday life. So applicable for how you work out, what you eat, your social life, um, And then I also did include some information there about non-toxic products and some non-toxic period brands. Do let me know what you guys think about this. I I will be implementing this in my own life. Um, I'll try and keep you updated on how it goes. Um, Right now, I'm, I'm really trying to work out what that's going to look like, but... I do think that there are a lot of benefits from from trying something like this, um, especially if you are dealing with any sort of hormonal imbalance. So I will keep you guys updated. In the meantime, visit the website and I will see you in the next podcast.